your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. All right, welcome back to For Better, Worse, or Divorce. I'm Brian Walters. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the advantages of hiring a board-certified attorney in family law in Texas. And I've got one of the board-certified members of our firm, Bernadette Barbie, here with me, and she's going to talk a little bit about that. So first, Bernadette, let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? All those kind of interesting things about you. Certainly. And Brian, thank you for allowing me to participate in your podcast today. I'm excited to talk to everyone. Well, I, as you can imagine, am an attorney licensed in the state of Texas, and I've been practicing in Harris County and surrounding areas since 2004, which has been really great. I'm a fourth generation Houstonian. I've been here a long time, went to Lamar High School over on Westheimer and then went to law school at South Texas College of Law. And I'm very lucky to have all of my family here, extended family in the Houston and surrounding area. So I've been here a while and been lucky enough to get to know the community and feel that I'm a part of it. And so it's great. Fourth generation, That's Texas has grown so much over the these past years and decades, it's rare to find somebody that's has family ties that deep here and, um, you know, is stuck around, especially in the same place. Sometimes people moving in from elsewhere. But I guess the early part of your family was probably here when Houston was just a much more modest place instead of a <laughs> metropolis, worldwide metropolis. Definitely, definitely the case. And, and it's amazing to see how the city has changed. And when I first graduated law school uh, shortly thereafter I, I decided to you know move pretty close into the courthouse wanted to be close by and and it's funny I, I didn't realize it at the time but I rented an apartment in the same street where my great grandfather had a pasta factory in the early part of Houston so it's it's just amazing how things come full circle and I just think Houston and all the the areas in our community are just it's just the best so I'm very happy to be blessed to practice here a pasta factory interesting I guess <laughs> yes. people have liked pasta for a long time so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so interesting wow that's such a contrast to me I'm kind of a you know my family was from on my mom's side, it was kind of small town, South Texas folks. I guess they've been here a while, but kind of they moved around a lot during the wars and stuff. And my dad's side of the family is even kind of a mystery of <laughs> people in places. So it's interesting to have somebody who's got deep roots in a place. So that's nice. Well, did you start out practicing family law or did you do something else originally? Well, I originally, like like a lot of people, started out in just general civil litigation. And that would include everything from personal injury to securities litigation. I had cases in New York during the 2008-2009 financial meltdown that we had with the banking industry. And from that point, I had cases up in New York in securities litigation. So I had a pretty broad 
background in civil litigation before I then focused on family law. And it was a natural progression, really. I represented not only institutional clients, companies, things like that, but also family businesses uh, in and around the Houston area. And so it just was a natural progression that these clients that I had helped with their businesses, when they had a family law problem, they began to turn to me. And, and so that evolved into a focus on family law, which really was to me when I got to the point that I began focusing on family. It just resonated with me. It hit a spot for me that I felt like what I was doing gave me a level of satisfaction and felt like I was really making a difference in people's lives in ways that I haven't before. Yeah, that's, that sounds familiar. I, I didn't start out in family law either. I was law school. I did some clerkships with the Texas Attorney General and the Texas Board of Medical Examiners and worked for this firm and that firm, ended up mostly spending my time working for and after after law school with, with a medical malpractice defense firm, defending, you know, representing technically doctors and hospitals, but and nurses, but also you know, essentially through insurance companies. And it was a good introduction to a number of things. But, you know, and this sort of the same thing, I, I started to get into some family law when I was there. And then when I went out on my own and into a partnership, I got into family law as pretty much a full-time thing at that point. But um, it's helped me. It kind of you know, it gave me a, a realization there's a world beyond just family law. But then the other part of that is that family law touches on everything. I mean, you can have securities related litigation issues or securities litigation. You can have, you know, personal injury or tort stuff like, like I had backgrounds in and it's it pulls in a little bit of everything, which I, I find it keeps me interested, right? Because we learn new things. I mean, you and I talked about a new case we had yesterday that involves, so, you know, military pension and military service and those type of things that are, you know, you, who would think you'd have to deal with that. But in family law, you know, if you're married to somebody in the military, they have a pension, a pension rights that's going to come up and you need to understand that type of thing. So to me, that's interesting. I think maybe for other people it might be overwhelming, but it sounds like it's an interesting kind of a plus for you as well. Well, I definitely think so. And, you know, particularly when you have people who have a small business within their marital estate, one of the spouses or both of the spouses have a small business, you have to have some background, or at least it's certainly preferable that your attorney have some background and, and exposure to business law and litigation and valuation and all of those things come up. Even sometimes, you know, not all divorces are smooth. Sometimes you've got allegations of fraud. There's all sorts of things, uh, breach of fiduciary duty that can come up in connection with businesses. Um, and so you need to have some background in that if you can. And you also need to have an understanding of what it is to build a business and how to protect that asset. So there's just multiple layers to it. And every type of uh, person could find themselves involved in a divorce and they come from diverse backgrounds financially and in every other way. And so I've been lucky enough to have a pretty broad background in the law so that when I did focus on family law, I've been able to build on that foundation in a way that is not as common uh, among practitioners. 
Yeah, absolutely. So just so uh, listeners know, the, the board certification system was instituted by this Texas the State Bar of Texas some number of um, decades ago to kind of help people understand, you know, hey, this is a lawyer that really understands whatever securities litigation, family law, criminal law, whatever. Not not that you have to have board certification to practice in that area, but that that, that does set you apart. And my latest look at the, uh, the statistics said that there is a little bit less than one percent of the lawyers in Texas that are licensed are board certified in family law. Much more than one percent practice in that area, or at least dabble in it. But the, that's certainly the the gold standard for someone who's in family law. And so let's talk about how you get certified. It's been a long time since <laughs> since I was initially certified. So uh, it's I believe you have to be in practice at least five years, and then. As, constitute most of your practice area for at least three of those last five years in family law. And then you have to go through this very difficult process of even being able to sit for the the examination and then have to pass the exam, which has a very low passage rate. So that's one of the reasons it's such a rare thing. Do you, um, obviously, since you didn't go straight out of law school into family law, I assume you were somewhat after your fifth year of practice before you thought about getting board certified in family law. Is that correct? Yes. I, you know, I have a total of about 18 years of experience altogether. And about the midway point is when I, I refocused into family law. And I pretty quickly honed in on the desire to be board certified. And I knew that while there is a minimum number of years of practice that you have to have just to be sort of just to sit for the exam, I knew that in order to to meet the milestones that the board of law examiners set to even sit for that exam, it would take probably longer than five years to meet those milestones. And the milestones being you have to have accomplished a certain number of trials, uh, including jury trial or appeals. You have to have spent so many uh, hearings in court to achieve the list of things that you have to achieve even to be eligible to apply to take the exam is just so much that number one, you got to be focused almost entirely full time on family law to meet those milestones. And then it's just, you have to get Uh, in some respects, lucky, and you have to have a lot of court time and a lot of mediation time. So I'm glad I focused in on it fairly early because otherwise it would just take such a long time to accomplish. So, and then of course you have to have the knowledge when you, you know, you're, you apply for the exam, you check off this list of all the things that they need you to have, have experience in. And then you have to apply for it and you have to be peer reviewed on top of it. You have to put a list of references forth who are judges or other board certified attorneys who are your peers to recommend you. And it isn't just simply a list of, you know, three references and you check that box. Uh, it, It truly is a peer review. So you have to have a reputation in order to, to pass the screening process. And then after that, if you've passed that process, then you are invited to take the exam or you're approved to take the exam. And then becomes, you know, the next phase of your journey to board certification, which is 
sitting for that exam. And I think anyone, no matter how long ago they took the exam, they remember it was hard. It is not an easy exam. No matter how long you've been practicing family law, there are aspects of our family code and principles of law that are constantly changing. It's very broad. And so if you're able to pass that exam, you really have achieved a breadth of knowledge within family law that is unique. And so all of these things, the just the rigorous application process to even be able to sit for the exam, and then the extremely broad exam is part of the reason, I think, Brian, why there's just not that many people who do it. There's not that many people who can. And so it's a very tiny percentage of attorneys in Texas who practice in family law who are able to achieve it. And, and it's it's definitely a, a mountain to climb and it's a, it's an honor to be board certified. Yeah, I agree. It was a haul. And uh, I remember, you know, having the part that I remember the most was having to dig up, you know, from three years ago, the, the cause number and the opposing counsel and the outcome of, you know, this type of hearing and they needed, you know, 30 temporary orders hearings or whatever and, you know, 20 20 final trials or whatever the numbers were. I think it's changed a little bit over time. You know, it's just a, quite the haul. But once you're there, then I guess, uh, you know, not only that, it's you don't just automatically get that and then keep it. You actually have to apply for recertification every five years and you have to uh, maintain your other bar requirements, you know, a certain number of continuing legal educations, et cetera. So it's not like you can rest on your laurels. I've been through the recertification process a couple of times and um, that's never that easy either. It's kind of some of the same things, less difficult. You don't have to sit for an exam that at that point, but you uh, certainly, you know, they certainly look you over and uh, make sure you're still practicing and still at the top of your practice. Something interesting that I've noticed also is that the when board certification was instituted for family law, at least, was in the 1970s, I think the mid-70s in, in particular, sort of the earliest dates I've seen anybody with that certification. Those folks are now, they're sort of the, the first wave. They're, they were really the pioneers. Those folks are, to the end of their careers, for the most part, most have retired or, or otherwise, with, with a few exceptions. I'm sure the rest will be pretty soon. So there's now kind of a a second wave of folks who followed on from them that are kind of coming to the forefront, which I think is kind of nice because in some ways, and maybe I'm just jealous because I'm younger than them, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, it's kind of nice now that the rest of us who weren't lawyers in the 70s, I, I was a kid in the 70s, you know, are now able to, uh, you know, to have some sense of being, you know, we've been around a, a while too. So I think that's a that's a positive. When, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, hey, you know, I'm looking at either hiring you or this other lawyer that's not board certified, obviously you can't make a blanket statement. I mean, there's a, there are good lawyers who are not board certified and there are board certified lawyers who are past their expiration date or not at the top of things or going through things in their life or professional life that are not conducive to performing at a high level. But what are the kind of things that you might talk to that person about, about whether it made sense to, to focus on hiring a board certified lawyer or not, in their family law case, at least? Well, I, you know, first, I would agree with you that it isn't standing alone, being board certified is not the only criteria that you would look at when making a decision to hire an attorney. Obviously, if you have a family law 
problem where you need to hire an attorney uh, or issue where you need to hire an attorney. It's, it's the most important issue in your life at that time. So you need to have a connection with that attorney. You need to feel that that attorney understands your particular situation. But in addition to that, you need to feel that your attorney has knowledge, experience, and a good reputation in the community. And there's probably no better way to check those boxes than board certification because of the knowledge that you've got to have in order to pass the test, the experience that you have to have to take the test, and the peer review that's required as a part of the screening process. So a lot of people may hear about an attorney through word of mouth, through a friend, but you can't really know that your family law problem is the same as your friend's family law problem. And so there, you may not have the same result your friend had or need an attorney with the same type of expertise that your friend had. Or people go to the internet and, and the internet is just overwhelming. If you were to Google family lawyer, Houston, people put forth websites and it, and it may look great, but how do you really know that this attorney that you're hiring has the knowledge for your particular matter? And so it's hard for people to make that decision and to put their family and their lives in this attorney's hands. So if you see that the attorney is board certified, you can at least say, okay, well, somebody screened this person already in order to get them board certified in the first place. Board certified attorneys do tend to be more expensive. And there is no doubt that that is a factor. So if you're concerned about the cost components of it, you can look at the firm that the board certified attorney is with or the attorney that you've heard about or you're looking at is with. And, and you can ask yourself, is there a board certified attorney within that firm who can provide some guidance to the attorney you're looking to hire who may not be board certified? And do you have that resource within that firm? So that's another alternative. And sometimes the best thing you can do when making your selection of an attorney is just make sure that among the attorneys that you're interviewing or that you set up consultations with, set up a consultation with at least one board certified attorney. And uh, you'll usually get a really good consultation out of it. And you'll at least be able to compare that experience with the experience of the non-board certified attorney you might be considering and then see where you go from there. Yeah, I think that's right on. Okay, well, we're about at the mark in time where I, I try to keep these two so that uh, we keep our listeners awake. Yes, we could definitely talk about this topic for a long time, but I, I think exactly we cover the highlights. Jake and I did one this morning of about modifications and realized that that's about an hour and a half topic and we had 20 minutes. So we just decided to keep it pretty simple and, and then we'll come back to it in future with kind of breaking down some of the, the details of it. It's sort of it's a little bit like this topic. But, well, thank you very much for coming on and talking a little bit about yourself and, and about this important topic and an important milestone that you and I have achieved and several others in the firm. So something we're proud of after a lot of, a lot of work and sweat. So um, we will uh, hopefully keep our certifications and in future years and, and be helping out people for a long time to come. So absolutely. Well, thank you for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. So that's all we have here for today. If you like what you've heard, please do us a favor and leave us a review. We appreciate all your feedback. It helps us 
and do a better job on these podcasts. I'm Brian Walters. Thanks for listening. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you.